I invite you now to take a Bible and to open it to Psalm 7. If you're using one of the Bibles that's provided for you there in the pew, you'll find this on page 420. So we've been going through the Psalms. Uh, one Psalm a week here on the seventh Sunday now of the year. We are in Psalm uh, 7. It's 17 verses. And we invite you to follow along as I read. O Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. Let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. But arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you and over it return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in my heart. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous. You who test the minds and the hearts, O righteous God, my shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends." I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. And that will conclude our reading for this morning. Uh, knowing that we would be here in Psalm 7 as we were driving to church this morning, I just asked uh, in the van uh, to the way back to our older two children, and I said, how do you feel when you're wrongly accused of doing something and the one said oh, really angry and the other one said oh yeah I just really want them to believe me when I tell them I didn't do it and I said well one of the the passages that we're going to be looking at today uh, in church is uh, the psalmist being honest about the pain and the hurt that is experienced by false accusations that are coming toward him. And so last week's psalm, the psalmist was dealing with a lot of hurt and pain, and he was walking through a valley and acknowledging that here. We don't know the exact setting or the occasion or even the accusation uh, that is coming against him, but what is clear is that the psalmist is being open and honest about the pain of false accusations. And we should be honest about that as well. None of us like to be accused wrongly of things. 
It doesn't make us happy in a, a work setting if we hear a colleague say something about us that we know is not true about us or even in a relational setting among uh, family members. If somebody says, well, this is what you did, or this is what I heard you said, and if you know that's not what you said, or that's not what you did, uh, all of us have this sense uh, internally of it's not right to be accused of things that we never did. It's hard enough at times just to work through the legitimate differences that we have with people. So when some of the conflict comes because we are believing the wrong things about one another, it makes all of those challenges even more. And false accusations carry serious weight to them. They, they have real-world effects that per, uh, produce more harm than just hurt feelings. Uh, the feelings, yes, they hurt, but false accusations um, create all kinds of difficulties for people. Hence, in the Ten Commandments, when the portion of the Ten Commandments that fleshes out what does it mean to love our neighbors as ourselves, we are told to not bear false witness against our neighbor. And that's part of God's command for all of his people. Do not ever bear false witness against another person. It is an unloving thing to do to your neighbor to falsely accuse them of things. And in that setting, it has a sense of legal connotation. Like if, if somebody's on trial, don't bear a false testimony because based on that testimony, a decision is likely gonna be made about this person's life. And so in that environment, yes, we're supposed to be truthful and always truthful, but that also transcends the courtroom. <laughs> it applies in the family room. It applies in the cubicle. It applies on email or in a text message, on social media. As much as we can, the most loving thing we can do is live in the truth. It is unloving towards our neighbors to bear false witness about them or to pass on false accusations about them. And though we don't know the exact circumstances in David's life or the accusation that's being rendered to him, we know that in scripture, there are several times that this happens to God's people. In the story of Joseph, uh, he's already had a variety of, of tragedy and trauma happen to him and being betrayed by all of his brothers and forced now uh, to work away from home. But he's making the best of the new circumstances that he has and Joseph's being a faithful servant in a household. When he is then approached by the woman of the household who does not value her marriage relationship and its exclusivity in the way that she should, and she wants Joseph, and Joseph resists her temptations, and he refuses to go along with what she is planning for and hoping for, and because he refuses to do what she wants, she falsely accuses him of trying to take advantage of her of being a bad worker, of trying to rape her. And so she then goes to her husband and says, can you believe that this is what you, this servant has tried to do? And so Joseph ends up in prison because he's falsely accused. He was said that he was doing something wrong when he was the person who was in fact doing something right. We not only see this on an individual basis, but eventually in the story of Israel in the time of the book of Esther, there's a person named Haman who accuses the whole nation of Israel of being a threat. And that if this group of people is allowed to keep on doing what they're doing, the, the kingdom is not going to be safe. And the 
king believes this false accusation against this whole group of people. And so he issues a decree that threatens the life of everybody in Israel. And then it takes a dramatic series of events in Esther coming before the king to say, please do not act upon this false accusation. People's lives are at risk. Their reputations are affected by false accusations. And oftentimes we don't see that. And sometimes we might minimize the danger that can be caused because we might say, well, I just passed on bad words about somebody. You know, I didn't punch them or, or, or confront them directly. But in fact, actually, because it's so, it's so much easier just to say something mean than to do something mean, it's easier to pass it along. We can slander and, and gossip with almost no energy. But slander and gossip can destroy people's reputations. And there are certain accusations that even if you're cleared from, just to be accused of carries a weight to it that brings harm to somebody's life and reputation. And so the Bible takes very seriously that we, we want to only speak truthfully and we only want to use the right and appropriate words and not minimize the danger simply because it's in the form of words rather than fists or weapons. There is a pain that comes whenever we are falsely accused. So much pain that if you still uh, have a Bible open, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5, that I submit to you that one of the more surprising things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount was what he said about false accusations. Uh, so Matthew chapter 5, um, verses 10 and 11, this is on page 760, if you're using one of the Pew Bibles. First, Jesus says, generally, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he expands it a little bit. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I mean, that is one of the many sayings of Jesus, that if you were able to have a cup of coffee, cup of coffee with him uh, this afternoon, that you might say, I need a little help with this one. <laughs> what, where is the blessing in being reviled and in having all kinds of evil spoken against you falsely? And that's a good question. But part of what Jesus is also saying to them, if that's happened to you, one, it's to prepare his disciples that that's actually what people do to him. That that is his own experience, that he is falsely accused. And that faithful servants of God throughout all of time have been falsely accused. He says, so were they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so... If in the moment of false accusation, we're tempted to think this is only happening to me, and if I just would have done something better or smarter, this never would have happened, part of what Jesus is saying is, no, no, no. Uh, false accusations will come. They came to the prophets before you. They 
they come upon me regularly, and by extension, they will come upon you, and at times they will come upon you specifically because you're doing the right thing. And so for Joseph, the false accusations came to him because he refused to go along with the evil that was presented to him. And so the blessing isn't, Joseph, you should just be so happy you went to jail. But the blessing is in that moment of pressure and temptation, Joseph did not allow what would become the false accusations to say, well, if I'm just going to get accused of it anyway, I might as well do it. If I'm just going to suffer the same fate, why, why would I hold on to my integrity? The blessing is to say, no, 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 I don't want to do it if I can get away with it, or I don't want to give it if I'm going to be punished for it anyway. I want to do what's right because it's right, because I believe it's what God wants for me, whether I get celebrated for doing it or whether I get falsely accused for doing it. And so the prophets, uh, many of them were often told to preach a, a difficult message to the people and to say, hey, God's not okay with what's going on here, and th- there needs to be repentance. And so many times they were accused of being either unloving or judgmental or um, against the nation and its purposes. And they had to say, listen, I don't know if you're going to celebrate the message I'm saying or you're going to throw me in prison for the message I'm saying, but I've been given a message. And there is a blessing in doing, always in doing what's right, just by doing what's right, just by not allowing the other pressures to then get us to say, you know what, well, then I'm just not going to do the right thing. But we can still acknowledge it hurts to be falsely accused. And so David, in this psalm, chapter 7, is pleading to God, saying, God, this hurts. Like It feels like a lion is about to tear my soul apart, rendering it in pieces with none to deliver. He's feeling vulnerable in this moment by the weight of the accusations that are coming against him. And it is okay to acknowledge that. Um, This reality is a part of my own family story. My grandfather on my father's side was falsely accused of something in the workplace. Um, He was serving at a mill in World War II in Eastern Europe. And at one point, as the tides of the war changed hands, New people came in who are now reigning, and nobody really knew who was in charge anymore uh, in the ambiguity of the conflict at the moment. And so a new power came and wanted basically all the top-level management jobs at the mill that he worked in. And so he went to work like any other normal day at work and was doing his job, but all of a sudden was accused of wrongdoing in the workplace and arrested. Ended up serving two years in prison and never was given the opportunity to stand trial. Never given the opportunity to face whoever was accusing him for what it was that he had done. And so in that two years, then petitioned multiple times the government to say, can somebody please tell me what I'm accused of? Whatever mismanagement accusation had been had, eventually there was an audit of the mill and there was uh, no wrongdoing found at the place. And so eventually he received, after serving two years in prison, a statement from the government on official letterhead that said, we have no record of anything you've been accused of. Which he knew he wasn't guilty. (laughs) But you have to imagine sitting in a prison cell, being lied to at the workplace, 
because somebody wanted your job to then wrestle with that and say, God, I need your help here. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to be faithful, um, but not only do I want to believe it, I want other people around me to believe it. And so part of that petitioning, even though that letter came to him after he'd already been released from prison, was helpful for him to show around to other people to say, if you were wondering what just happened there, I promise you, I didn't do anything. And here is a statement acknowledging that I didn't do anything. David is uh, acknowledging the pain that is coming about through this false accusation. He's wanting to experience relief. He's wanting to be vindicated. And then I submit to you part of what he reveals in acknowledging that pain is also the protection that we as God's children are supposed to feel from his righteousness. So there's the legitimate pain that comes when false accusations are made about us. But we're also supposed to feel the protection of God's righteousness for us here and now. And so the psalm begins, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. So the vindication hasn't happened yet. The accusations are still coming. But part of what David can rest in is that there are no false accusations in the courtroom of heaven. There is no partial testimony before the God who made the universe. There is no hearsay, there's no gossip, there's no slander. Nobody can deceive the one who's over it all. The one who can discern the thoughts and the tensions of our hearts. So when we might wonder, how has your perspective changed about me? Or, or how are you reading the room right now based on what people are starting to talk about? When we think about God, it's supposed to allow us to rest in his presence that we can believe that God is only ever dealing with the truth. He's never misinformed. He's never partially informed. He's never without corroboration. And so we can right now rest and take refuge in him. Because he's never deceived. He's never tricked. And in that faith is also a conviction that right now we are safe in his presence, even if we don't feel safe in the presence of others. And also trust that he will work about his righteousness over time. That simply because something is not clear in the moment and everybody can't observe it, David is trusting that God will reveal in appropriate ways and over a period of time who is in fact right and who is wrong. He's so confident of that in verses three through five, he basically takes an oath. Uh, this is a kind of very humbling prayer to prayer, uh, almost dangerous for us to pray at times, but David is so confident. He says, God, if I've done this, if I am guilty of what I'm being accused of, then God, let me be punished in the appropriate way based on those accusations. So he's inviting the judgment of God because he knows he's innocent of what he's being accused of. If he has been unethical, and it's interesting the different ways he describes that, which might get to the heart of some of the accusations, if there's wrong in my hands, or if I've repaid my friend with evil, 
or I've plundered my enemy without cause. So there's sins that he could be accused of just individually in how he's handling things. There's ways he could have mis, uh, mishandled friendship, and there's a, wis- a way he could have mishandled enemies. He's open to all of those as possibilities. And he's praying to God, if I'm guilty of any of that, in the ways in which I'm being accused, then let me be judged. And part of what David is, is acknowledging is that God, over time, will reveal the truthfulness of what is happening. So he, he has this sense of refuge in the moment, that he's in God's presence and God is not deceived. But also because he believes God is in control of human history, he knows that over time, no false accusation will endure forever. Eventually, the truth will come out. And he can rest in that because God's righteousness promises that. We actually get a profound example of that in the New Testament when someone who does not believe in Jesus uh, sort of hits the pause button on some of the other people around him who are punishing the followers of Jesus. So if you open your Bible to Acts chapter 5, this is on page 859. The early disciples have been going out and proclaiming the message of the resurrected Lord. The church is growing. People are being baptized in the thousands. It's causing a lot of disruption in Jerusalem. So the religious leaders are getting angry about that fact. And so many false accusations are coming upon the believers in the church. But then we learn about somebody who I submit to has the same view of God and how God reveals truth over time. So this is Acts 5, beginning in verse 33. So the apostles are being accused of many different things. It says, verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400 joined him. And he was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. And so they took his advice. So this is Gamaliel saying, I don't know if what these guys are saying is true. And I know there's so much accusation against them, you're ready to harm them. And I'm telling you, one of the ways we show our trust in God and his righteousness is that he will reveal over time whether what they're saying is true or whether what they're being accused of is true. And I submit to you, that's the same sort of perspective that David has here in Psalm 7. He believes he can trust in God's presence now, but he also believes that God over time 
will vindicate what is true, that his righteousness can be counted on by you and by me. And he even indicates in verse 12, he says in Psalm 7 verse 12, he says, if a man does not repent, God will wet his sword, he is bent and readies his bow. But the flip side of that is in all of this tension that's going on, there is an opportunity for repentance. And here again is a way in which God manifests his own righteousness. If there's this extension of time, if there's this delay in judgment, part of what God is allowing for in his righteousness is opportunities for people along the way to say, you know what, I am sorry. <laughs> I want to... I want to acknowledge that I've been doing what's wrong, that I've been saying what's wrong, that I've been accusing things that that haven't happened, and there's an opportunity that God is allowing for in his patience, still holding on to his righteousness, but enabling those who are willing to say, I'm sorry. I don't want to live in a lie. I don't want to uh, continue to pass on what is harmful and untrue. And in all those ways, we see even in that delay, not God being unjust, but God being gracious. Justice is still going to happen. He is the righteous one, but also in his compassion. At times he waits, giving us the freedom and the opportunity to turn, to say we're sorry. This is the protection that God's righteousness allows for us. We can trust in it now. We can believe it works itself out over time. And if we're on the wrong end of it, we also have the opportunities to repent. And then lastly, I submit to you that what we see in this psalm is the power of faithful obedience. The psalmist who knows that his trust is ultimately in God's righteousness and in God's vindication is still longing to have integrity in his own life. You know, part of that injustice that we feel when we're wrongly accused of things is that each and every one of us has a conscience in us that God has given us to long to do what's right, to believe that to do what's right is what's beautiful and what's most helpful to others. And so God's righteousness for the psalmist is not an excuse to just do whatever he wants and not to say these accusations don't matter. No, they really do matter. And we can trust in God's righteousness and also allow the accusations around us, when appropriate, cause self-examination within us. To say, even if I am not guilty of what I'm being accused of, God, I do want you to show me in whatever ways I'm wrong that I'm wrong. I want to show you ways that I want you to show me ways that I can be stronger, that my life can reflect your will and your character more. I want you to help me to live under your righteousness, but allowing that to help me be increasingly righteous. And And all of us have that opportunity, even wherever we're wrongly accused. We know that there's things we've done (laughs) that we could have done better. Many, many of you are probably much better uh, and obedient in your driving uh, 
skills than I am, but I kind of always say to myself, if I ever do get pulled over and I think I'm innocent for what I got pulled over at the moment, I know I was guilty of many other things before that, that I didn't get pulled over for, that therefore I should probably just have a lot of patience and say, okay, this is the time that I might have to pay up. All of us know that about ourselves, which is how false accusation affects us. Because we know, even if the specific thing isn't true, we know we don't get it right all the time. I mean, you just look at David's list and say, are there times where I'm not the best friend I should be? Oh, absolutely. Are there times where I might rejoice in seeing somebody who, who I might think of as an enemy or opposed to God in their failure and their punishment? Yeah, none of us could come to this and say that we live with integrity. And so David is inviting God to search him and know his heart. And in the language of a future psalm, to see if there's any wicked way in him. And to then to help him to find the good and the right ways to live with better health and wholeness and in holiness. And I submit to you, we have a powerful example of this uh, first in the Old Testament uh, in, the, in Samuel. So if you go to 1 Samuel chapter 12, here you'll see a leader who's standing before the people and he's now inviting the testimony of the nation to speak against him and against his leadership. This is on page 219. Uh, most of your Bibles will label it as Samuel's farewell address. First Samuel 12, it says, And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you have said to me and have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray. And behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me and I will restore it to you. And they said, you've not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, the Lord is witness against you and his anointed is a witness against this day that you have found, have not found anything in my hand. And they said, he is witness. Now, whether you feel like today you could stand up before a group of people and make the same sort of invitation, uh, we're, we're all at different points in the journey. But one of the ways to read Psalm 7 is also to say, do you desire from this day forward that you would live this way? Not believing that by living this way, you're earning your salvation or you're earning God's righteousness. He's already given it. He's already the refuge under which you and I can live. But he desires that you and I would now live in such a way that those false accusations over time will prove untrue. That our obedience over time will manifest itself in such a way 
that people would say, yes, no, we've, we've seen how God has been working in your life. We've seen the integrity with which you do things. There are no false accusations that could be brought before you, which is not to say you're perfect and you've done everything right. That's not the burden that scripture puts on us as God's children. So a parallel for this in the New Testament is Acts chapter 19 with the Apostle Paul. We don't have time to look at that one. But if you want to look afterwards, the Apostle Paul is brought before a whole council. A riot is about to break out in the city. Paul is being accused of all kinds of things. And again, Paul before a group of people says, can anybody raise their hand and honestly say where I've done you wrong? Where I've said something wrong about you or about your God? And it's a powerful testimony of what faithful obedience can do in our lives. And as Christians, ultimately, the power of this faithful obedience comes down to our Lord and Savior, Jesus. He was the most falsely accused person. I mean, he was God in the flesh come to us. And he was accused of blasphemy. It's hard for us to truly imagine how much that stung. Because, again, even when false accusation comes to us, we know that we are broken and we are weak and we're guilty of a whole bunch of things. But that our Lord and Savior was despised and rejected by men. As Isaiah 53 walks it through, that he was accused and accused to the point of blasphemy and a capital offense to be put on a cross but we see the power of his faithful obedience and that the God who is righteous then vindicated him by raising him from the dead and that is our hope that no wrong will be made wrong forever even in death that our God transcends life and death itself and so we can in seeing the power of his faithful obedience in our half, just say like the psalmist did, O Lord, in you I take refuge. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it does speak so truthfully about the hurts that can come in the brokenness of this world. And sometimes those hurts come from physical pain and calamity. But sometimes they come from lies and from half-truths, from accusations that we've experienced. And sometimes those voices are in our own head telling us that we're not good enough or that we're not worthy. But we thank you that in your presence we are in the light and we are in the truth, that you are never deceived in any way about who we are. And so we pray that you would help us to live into that goodness and fullness that we don't have to spend any time or energy trying to pretend that there's no advantage to gain by being hypocritical, that you long for us to be simply open and honest before you. And Father, we do pray that in your good righteousness that you would help us to live with greater integrity not because we might get rewarded for it or punished for it, but that we would just long to be more like you and to live into the power uh, that is uh, manifested in our world when people are willing to follow you no matter what. 
We pray that you would do this through your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.